Many people start their evening by asking their loved ones how their day was. I've always loved asking that to my dad. Hearing dad talk about work is especially fascinating to me because his 9 to 5 was fairly unique. His job was keeping astronauts alive. Eventually, I decided to start recording some of his best work stories. Here are those stories as My Dad Built Spaceships. When Dad was a kid, long before he ever even thought about working on spaceships, he grew up milking cows, believe it or not. He also wasn't a good student, and he even had some mild dyslexia. And yet, he still managed to eventually get an engineering degree, he fell into a job in aerospace, and by the end of the career, he was recognized amongst his peers as having an extensive knowledge of environmental control and life support systems. In this episode, he introduces himself and talks a lot about his background. Then the last third or so of the episode, start talking about the beginning of his career, and we introduce a test craft that you've probably never heard of, the Space Shuttle Enterprise. Have a listen. Thanks. I'll start with background. Sure. What do you want? What neither you or your brother know. Uh-oh. Was I was not that great a student. You've told me you spent nine years getting your bachelor's degree and you majored in women at the beginning, and I'm supposed to not know that you weren't a great student? <laughs> it started earlier than that. <laughs> I was doing okay in Stockton. There you go. And we um, moved to Sacramento. I started fifth grade in Sacramento, and I was doing okay, I guess, in Sacramento for fifth and sixth grade. Somewhere along the way, they decided I should be in the accelerated learning program. Right. And that started in eighth grade. And that was fine for science and math. Yeah. But I was never real excited about it for English. Right. You have like a, a touch of dyslexia, right? I have a touch of dyslexia. I So reading was a pain. Reading is a pain. I the dyslexia I absolutely hate copying part numbers from one thing to another. Manually, so I'll cut and paste, so I don't swap numbers. Heck yeah. There's a certain amount of dyslexia there. There's also some reading challenges I had when I was young. I, believe it or not, although I was in an accelerated learning program, mm -hmm. I continued to use the equivalent of a number line through high school completely. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I never memorized the addition of the... Of numbers until I guess college. I always used like a number line to add numbers together. What do you mean used a number? How did how did your number line work? Hmm? How did your number line work? Uh, oh. I pictured each number as a uh, dice cube. Illustration time. Okay. Let's say the first one was five, and next next number was nine. I, I pictured that as having nine dots on it, and I'd count up the additional nine. So five plus nine, you would five plus one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and which became five, five six, six, seven, seven eight, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, wow. fourteen. So but yeah, I mean, basically, you you start with the first number and then you count up to adding the next number, and that was addition for you all through high school. That was my addition through all through high school and through the college entrance examination. Boy, I got to tell you, nine years to get an engineering degree makes a whole lot more sense now. <laughs> 
<laughs> you just had to count these numbers. It took nine years to be able to count them for the math yeah. problems, right? <laughs> Things changed when I got to community college <laughs> in a lot of ways. Yeah. Well, I'm sure. But Anyway, as I was also in this accelerator program for English, math, and science. Let's, let's I, step back just a tiny bit, just so I can incorporate more potty humor. Okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll give a little you, you spent you know you worked on shuttle you've been working space travel and in specifically environmental control and life support ecls mm-hmm. for most of your career you're working on that now most of your career was spent on shuttle for a particular period your primary responsibility had to do with one particular piece of equipment right it wasn't that i was primarily responsible for that one piece of equipment that one piece of equipment ended up taking a lot of your time, uh, maximizing the time. Yeah, yeah. okay. And what was that piece of equipment? It was the toilet. <laughs> it was the toilet. But your history with poo professionally started much younger than that because you grew up on a farm. Yep. <laughs> so let's just when the- we lived in Stockton, we had seven acres, mm-hmm. and my father called it a ranch. We had seven cows. Something I never fully recognized until I was much older is you have to milk cows in the morning and in the evening. Mm-hmm. If you don't, they stop producing milk. Mm-hmm. So when we went on camping trips away from home, mm-hmm. dad would leave in the evening from the camping trip, go home, milk cows, milk cows in the evening and the morning, and come back the next day. Oh, really? Or oh, in okay. the worst case, he'd go home milk cows come back out to where we were camping then get up in the morning and go milk cows again. Wow. That was a way for him to incorporate some additional income. It was also a... It wasn't really about the income for him, was it? I mean, he did it because he liked it, I, th- I imagine. I don't know. Yeah, all right. Well, whatever, but oh, yeah. So, grew up on a farm. <laughs> and That was in Stockton. One, one of the things they did was... When the cows would have a calf, they raise a calf, whether it be a, a steer or a cow. Mm-hmm. And when it's a large enough animal to market, they take it down to the auction. And in the auction, they would take the auction money and put that in savings for college funds. Okay. Oh, nice. Okay. In my case, they had only one, sold one or two cows, so there was only about $600 in the college fund in my case. In my brother and sister's case, there there was few more older, cows, so there's more cows. Mm-hmm. So that yeah, that's Stockton. Then you moved to Sacramento. We then you were Sacramento, doing the accelerated uh, programs. Accelerated programs. English sucked. I agree. By the way, I didn't really enjoy my English honors either. Although I did manage to read Romeo and Juliet every single year of high school. <laughs> You're kidding. <laughs> no, so I had I had the Honors English in California my freshman year, and they're like, read this. And then I was like, this is stupid. I don't like Honors English. I'm going <laughs> following your footsteps. So mm-hmm. sophomore year, I'm like, regular English. And they're like, cool, Romeo and Juliet, read this. <laughs> then we move out here to Florida, right? And they're like, hey, junior year, it's time for us to read, you guessed it, Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> and that was Honors English here because they talked me into that crap again. But then my senior year, I talked myself out of it again. And they're like, hey, guess what time it is? <laughs> It's time for everyone's favorite double suicide. Anyway, but this isn't about me. This is about you. So yeah, yeah. So so you get to college and you figured out how to add better, <laughs> and they gave you an engineering degree. <laughs> um, Romeo and Juliet was we were exposed to it, but we were supposed to read another 
Shakespeare story mm-hmm. associated with um, somebody made a loan against a heart. God, I used to remember the name of that. We could ask mom. No, she we'll have, right? She's the English major here. <laughs> the other uh, thing I, I believe I was exposed to twice was a portrait of an artist as a young man. Oh, yeah? And that, I thought it was going to be cool when I first opened the book and talked about being uh, colder than a witch's tit in an iron bra. <laughs> it went downhill from there. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I figured out how I could skim through the book and pass the school class and got mm-hmm. out of Otter English as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. Continued with the, what we call accelerating learning math and physics. Somewhere around my senior year, I figured out that that was really a bad sell by the entire educational community because the entrance criteria for going into college was based upon GPA. GPA. It had nothing to do with what classes you took. Right. And because, yeah, the for And you had the accelerated to do classes more were- work in accelerated classes to get an A than you had to do in regular classes. So, you know, when I was in the honors classes, you could at least potentially get a higher than 4.0 GPA if you were getting A's in all your honors classes. Was that the case for you or not? They did not make that accommodation. Oh, so, yeah, there's, there's absolutely no potential benefit even. And my brother told me that in his girl's case, they had some grades were above four and mm-hmm. they, they reduced them back to four when they did calculated a GPA for entrance, college entrance. So it's a bad deal. Yep. In my mind. I agree. Did it make it easier in college? I don't know. I didn't have to take calculus in college because I already took it, but well, I can't something. say what made it easier. I'm going to go with having to not take calculus is definitely easier. Having taken calculus in college, <laughs> a couple times. <laughs> and then that was when rough. I came out of high school, I thought I wanted to be a doctor. I applied for schools away from home so I could run away from home. I was accepted to Cal Poly in Pomona mm-hmm. as a freshman and chose not to go. Instead, went to the local community college. In local community college, I... I Essentially wasted the first semester. I had D's in several classes. There was a young lady up in that lived in Reno. That it was way more fun to spend your time with. Was way more fun to spend time with. Mm-hmm. And so I won't, didn't go very well in that that particular semester. So you're 18 at this point, right? Roughly. Yep. yep. Is this about the time you also started dressing up in clowns so that you could get into bars when you were underage? Nope. <laughs> That came later. That came later. All right. All right. We'll get there. Then that young lady out in Reno was obviously in, involved or with somebody else, and I didn't even realize it at the time. No. Wah, wah. And so I went on about my life and said, well, I guess I ought to get on with schooling. And in community college there, I managed to get on the dean's list and, and had good grades. Although I ended up spending three years in community college because the first semester was, yeah, I had to repeat all those classes. <laughs> right. And then I went from there to University of California, Davis. University of California, Davis was my first time being out, out on my own for some time. Mm. And it was a bit more challenging there than it was community colleges. I mean, the chemistry class, was it chemistry or physics? I think it was physics. Physics sat 
about 400 people a lecture. Holy cow. And when you went to lab, you got a lecture for the first hour from these graduate students. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget this one guy who talked about the exquedit and the squedit root of X. <laughs> His English was not that good. I really didn't want to pay attention to him. And I made it through that class. And right. When I was in Davis, I came to recognize that there was a bunch of bioscience majors, which is what I was majoring in. Mm-hmm. That we're all thinking that they're going to become doctors or involved with the medical profession. Hmm. And in one class, which I believe was chemistry, the prof said he believed in the honor system. So what he wanted everybody to do is have one seat empty in between them, each seat, which left less seats than there were students enrolled. So he allowed students to take the test outside of the lecture hall. Mm. There was a group of about 20 that made it a community test mm. every time. Seems they all wanted to be doctors. I said, oh, this is something I want to do. So if I stay here and get a bioscience degree and I don't get into med school, I have an ab absolutely useless degree. I was starting to have some trouble with grades there. So I started taking some of the engineering courses rather than our first nice transition from so bioscience. That's interesting. So that's that was the point where you decided not to be a doctor. Was yeah. so part of it was the course load was getting to be a pain and the, the grades were going was down. A pain. You felt like if you didn't down. get into med school the degree wasn't going to be very useful. Right. And then you were pretty disenchanted with some of your fellow students that were that were just cheating. And fundamentally you'd be in class with people that were were cheating. Yeah. You'd be in school with people that were cheating. Interesting. So, yeah. I so. initially changed my major to chemistry. And that and was something that you were enjoying. Chemistry was okay until we did physical chemistry, which was a lot of integral calculus. <laughs> I had a teacher, too, for, for calculus. That was, the integral is congruent. <laughs> he was tough. Integral calculus was part of physical chemistry. Mm -hmm. um, and... That about killed me. And I did pass the course with a C, but I really needed a B to make up for some other courses I didn't do so well in. And then parent, my mother called me up and says, well, I've decided to divorce your father. I, I've sent a restraining order to his office for him not to come home. I kind of freaked out. <laughs> Why? That seems fine. No. Yeah, I um, that would have been. I, I feel freaking look, out is look, appropriate at that point. Looking backwards, what I think had occurred is my mother had decided my father was an alcoholic, and she went to an organization called Al-Anon, mm -hmm. which is a sister company to AAA for the people that are married or associated with people in AAA, and they encourage you to throw alcoholics out on the street until they get to where they're. Not drinking anymore. At least ways they did then, huh? Yeah. I think they still did. But, uh, yeah, I, I think as you said, it, your father liked to have a beer at night or something, but he wasn't, he, he wasn't someone that, uh, made it a problem. He would have typically two highballs every Saturday with our neighbor. That was it? She was a preacher's daughter. God damn. <clears throat> Anyway, so, so I ended up being academically disqualified from UC Davis. 
my sister had suggested that I did was doing well in sales and I should do, get into real estate. Which your sister was was doing my and was doing pretty doing, well for herself. My, doing, my sister does very well at it, or did very well. And I got a real estate license and went down and lived with them and attempted to sell real estate. Mm-hmm. And I did well for the office, but I didn't do so well for myself. Well, right, yeah, because they would swipe your leads. I would go out and playing paper and whatever and get leads, and people would call in after hours, and there was an individual that would call into our answering service and take all the messages. And I finally realized what was going on when he had listed a property in an area right after I had put paper in the area. Yeah. So I decided it was time to go back to school, and then I went to get readmitted to school. I needed to go show that I could do coursework. So I went to a community college in Southern California and took my programming classes. At that time, it was Fortran and Basic. <laughs> was that... Forgive me. That wasn't... Was that paper cards or no? That was paper cards. Yeah, the old school. Okay. Paper decks. Yep. We had paper decks for a long time. We had paper decks up to the time when I started at Rockwell. Yeah. Punch cards. Yep. Those were fun. Were they? I'm glad I don't make websites today with paper punch cards. <laughs> Big deck. Yep. So I took the courses at community college, got myself entered into... University of California, Long Beach, to complete my engineering curriculum in chemical engineering. I had a chemical background. Might as well use that in engineering because I had all the chemistry courses taken. Right. And you had a bunch of the math courses taken. Yeah. As you've told me before, you were like, what degree am I closest to completing? Yeah, that's fundamentally what I was trying to do is what degree is I'm closest to. I was working at a place that made what they call prepreg which yeah. is fiberglass pre-impregnated with resin mm-hmm. or carbon fiber pre-impregnated with resin. And that was supplied to the aircraft industry and sports industries. Aircraft industry at the time would use the fiberglass for the interiors of aircraft. And they would use the pre-impregnated carbon fiber for layup of the vertical and horizontal stabilizer on F-15, 16. How did you get into that work? How did you get that job? I just kept looking for available jobs in the newspaper. And, and you saw an ad, and you're like, oh, that it. seems interesting. And Saw an ad and went and applied. As a quality. I figured I could qualify as a quality control technician. And I, there was that place, and then there was another place that designed and built springs. Because previous to that, you were, like, what, selling suits, right? <laughs> oh, that was way early in the, Sacramento. I was selling men's clothing. Yeah. Okay, so I, I guess it was real estate immediately prior to Real the, estate and real yes. Gotcha. All right. Interesting. <clears throat> and I went into the place saying, well, I was looking for something with an off shift so I can go continue my classwork and get my bachelor's degree. Right. And that worked out. And that worked out. They would reimburse me for tuition and tuition and books or just tuition. I think it was just tuition when I could show that I had passed the classes. How about that? that? Employers that care about their employees. That worked out. Yeah. And by the way, Boeing, Boeing still does that. Yeah. I don't know what other other companies do that if they'll. Mm-hmm. So I end up working graveyard shift and going to school during the day, mm-hmm. and I managed to pass. I got through school with the C average. Mm-hmm. It was nothing to go right home about. Mm-hmm. Got a job. I went off and started interviewing at school for jobs within the petroleum industry because the petroleum industry is typically where they go. I mean, you say nothing to write home about, but 
You completed your engineering degree after kind of bouncing around with school and being a little bit uh, aimless for nine years, right? Like, mm-hmm. and, uh, that was a big deal. That was a big step. Mm-hmm. Didn't feel like a big step at the time? It felt like another step to getting things done. Yeah. All right. Well. I met your mom while I was working graveyard and going to school during the day. Yep. Yeah. What were your Friday night dates like? Uh, I would go to her, her parents' house, have dinner, and fall asleep on the floor. <laughs> Pretty romantic. Yep. <laughs> we got married in December prior to me achieving my degree. So the last semester, semester yeah, I was working graveyard and going to school during the day. Mm-hmm. And was running on empty most of the time. I was interviewing with petroleum industries and places like Fleur, who did petroleum plants, etc. And yeah, I mean, in general, petroleum and, is where chemical engineers, especially at that time, right. found their work. And I also interviewed with Rockwell by chance. Cause Why not? Why not? They were nearby. They were hiring. Right? They were nearby. They were hiring. And the opportunities for... Petroleum looked like they were in Saudi Arabia or Alaska, which didn't ring my chime at all. <laughs> Went to an interview with the person at Rockwell, and I found much later what he used as criteria. But as I had Dean's List on my uh, resume, and I claimed Dean's List for way back in community college. That put you over the edge. That put me over the edge for an interview. Mm-hmm. They, they hired me at that time, and... I started working in environmental control and life support for the space shuttle program prior to its first flight. Didn't have a whole lot to do with the design. Most of the design was complete at that time. What was left was to do verification and to work on items associated with flight rules and anomalies. The first anomaly I worked on was a condition where there some insulation was put on a a particular line and the process of taping over the installation they crushed the one inch insulation down to three eighths of an inch so it did not provide the insulation it was supposed to and see this is this is the good okay this is the good stuff but real quick what year is it that you're you get the job and i start in 1980 1980 1980 yeah 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 so most of the shuttle was designed in the 70s when was the first launch? What, 82? 81 or 82. 81 or 82. Yeah, interesting. So, yeah, I mean, but what's what's fascinating about all this is sort of hearing, of course, I mean, your your personal history is interesting, but but the it's, you never hear about stories like <laughs> tape crushing down insulation by a couple fractions of an inch and that making it not perform, you know? Mm-hmm. It's, it's just an installation error. Where- yeah. The insulation we used was squishable. <laughs> squishable. Is that a technical term? And when they went to put the outer covering on it, which was tape. Yeah, they squished they, it. They used the tape tension coming off the spool mm-hmm. to lay it in, and that mm-hmm. squished it as it went along. Yep. And then as a result of being squished, it didn't. It wasn't insulating as well it as it was supposed to. It was supposed to. The way it was supposed to. Mm-hmm. So they put another layer over the top of it, and they were more careful. Another thing that's kind of kind of interesting is that was on Columbia, mm-hmm. and Columbia utilized on an overcoat covering for all the insulation mm-hmm. that was very reflective but low absorbing to heat. 
Sure. Okay. Space blanket. Space blanket. <laughs> and non-corrosive. Okay. They were all plated with gold. What? Gold plate was used on these outer blankets. Gold plate was all over Columbia. All the wow. multi-layer insulation blankets and all wow. of the outer blankets for the fiberglass blankets were gold. So where's this insulation that we're talking about? That's all inside the vehicle. Like, okay, okay. So like around the crew cabin. Around the crew cabin. Any of the lines that come out of the crew cabin going back, oh, back wow. from the vehicle. So um, like all the all the all the line bundles are wrapped in gold plate. All the fluid bundles were, were wrapped in a mylar that had a gold plate on it. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so there's a lot of money spent there. <laughs> there was a lot of money. That's a that's a yeah that it came from Apollo. It's the Apollo thinking at the time. Apollo utilized this same material because gold doesn't oxidize. Right. Well, I mean, there's yeah, there's 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 practical reasons to use gold. It's not that uh, it wasn't a Trump decision. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, yeah. There's there's some qualities that make it desirable, especially in space travel. As with time, they found that they could use aluminized mylar, which was, uh, yes, it would degrade, but it wouldn't degrade so fast as to be unusable. Right. But Columbia had a bunch of gold on it. Interesting. ST, what was that? 102. Vehicle 102. Had a lot of gold. Me. Oh, is, is 101 the Enterprise? 101's the Enterprise. <laughs> I wonder if people know about the Enterprise. Yeah, the Enterprise was, was the first shuttle, and it was a full-scale mock-up, was but it f- never actually flew to space. It was a full-scale mock-up, did not include the outer insulation uh, mm-hmm. of the mock-up, and had some internal things that we did to make it work. The cooling system. Uh, what do you mean? Internal things we did to make it work? That's well, kind of vague. There's no point in putting radiators on it if you're not going to open the doors. Okay. What was the purpose of Enterprise, and where did it get its name from? The purpose was to show two things. One, that you could land the vehicle effectively. That was, yeah, people weren't sure about that, huh? People were not sure that it could be effectively landed by a human. (laughs) Well, okay, you say by a human, but, I mean, it's 2018 now, but this is 1980, Oh, this was done in 1975, 76. Yeah, so by a not-human was not an option at that time. By a, a automated system. Yeah. It wasn't available at the time. <laughs> yeah. Could so it you- have been made? Yes, it probably could. Mm-hmm. But there was significant pushback from trying to make that happen. Really? Yes. You think it could have been made? I don't know. I have doubts. I mean, the processing power in the shuttle, as they were originally designed, was... Less than the average smartphone now. Correct. Uh, it was equivalent to what used to be called an 8086 chip, which is like, IBM PC. Okay, okay, the 80s PC. Yeah. Right. And. Yeah, and those 80s PCs came with, you know, what, a few megabytes of storage, if that. Actually, I think the original 80s PCs, this is a tangent, but still, the original 80s PCs didn't come with a hard drive installed. Like your main storage yeah. was a floppy? It was a floppy. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know if you could. I, I don't believe that the landing procedures, you know, could have been <laughs> stored on a floppy drive. Um, there was some additional memory available. How's that? All right. So, anyway, Enterprise, uh, this was the 70s. This was the this 70s. Wanted to, and again, 
just to, and we'll get back to this point some other time, but this is, this is a time period where, yeah, things have to be done by humans. We don't really have the automation capability that we have today. In fact, there was at some point a design to build a flyback booster system for the mm -hmm. shuttle that also would have been manned. Because that also would have been manned. Automating. Well, that's an interesting story right there. It is, but we'll get to it later. I'll drive. Yes. <laughs> I drive this ship. <laughs> so the Enterprise. Let's get back to the Enterprise. So problem one was to demonstrate that, hey, we we actually could land this thing. We actually could land it. Okay. And point two? And point two is the determining the landing speed. Oh, really? The landing speed was very, is very high for this vehicle. Yeah. Well, yes, but there weren't. Well, there had to be some kind of estimates on landing well, speed. Well, right? estimates on landing speed, but wasn't really sure. Where did Enterprise land? Like out in the uh, lake beds in California? Lake beds in California. So then they had they had miles and miles of runway. They could just go however long they needed. Miles of runway when they first did it. Yeah. And they finally got a lot of concrete for the last one. An approach and landing test were what they called it. And it, like X-15, had a nose-up attitude coming into landing. Oh, yeah, yeah. X-15 did have that, too, yeah. Pilots don't like because they can't see the runway when it's nose up. Yep. So that was part of the hurrah for go, going off and doing the approach landing. Right. The other thing that was interesting, although not a, an objective of the test, but the space shuttle sat on top of the 747, right? Mm-hmm. It had a slightly nose up attitude sitting on top of the 747. Mm-hmm. That nose-up attitude increased the velocity of the air between the two aircraft. Okay. There was concern that that increased velocity of the air would hold the two vehicles together. Mm. And what was done is somebody was actually asked to build a radio-controlled aircraft and develop a separation technique with a radio-controlled aircraft. Oh, that's fun. That would have been a cool gig. And I forgot quite what it was that what the 747 goes uh, down and left and the, the enterprise went up and right to get the separation because there was they did want to stick together wow which probably nobody nobody working a program remembers that anymore anyway institutional knowledge it's pretty cool that's neat first vehicle is 102 it's called columbia Columbia was built in Palmdale. All the tile was installed in Palmdale. It was installed to where the tiles lined up with the vertical or with the longitudinal and horizontal axis of the vehicle, which made the front of the tiles perpendicular to the airflow coming around it. Which made it rip off the tiles. When it was transported from California to KSC, it ripped off a bunch of tile. <laughs> How much is a bunch? Like... What percentage would you say? Third? I'd understand 10 to 15%. 10 to 15% of the tiles came off just from flying. <laughs> flying in the from air. And at that point, too, like, I mean. None of that was at Mach velocities. No, of course not. But you were, either you were, well, of course not in that. Like, I mean, it was on a 747. The 747 can't go Mach velocities. But you were flying low. Yeah. And probably slow even for a 747. Low and slow. Yeah. But it was ripping off the tile. We limited the altitude of the vehicle. So the vehicle wouldn't get cold for one, and two, if there was a cabin leak, the cabin never went below eight psi. Let's end with an interesting story, because I yeah, as you flew over to Florida, you ripped off the tiles. Yep. 
So you redesigned it so that the tiles would be almost in like a diamond pattern, right? Correct. They're all pointed toward the, you had right. a corner of the tile pointed in the, the vehicle which, velocity director. Right, which limited the, you know, surface area that right. was pointed towards, yeah, the, um, the airflow mm-hmm. and prevented them from being ripped off. Somebody that built the shuttle didn't learn that. Oh, the Russians copied a lot of the drawings that we had on Columbia. Now that seems a generous term for what they did. Copied? They, uh, they, uh, they stole them? <laughs> oh. They acquired them. I, they acquired them. I'm not sure if you can say they're stolen. Regardless, they, they acquired was, them. It, it was an unclassified program, and I don't know how public, how much stuff was public. Fair. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, but they didn't exactly do a Google search at the time and find this public stuff. But again, I would agree. It was public. Okay. There wasn't a Google search. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> okay. Somebody so, but they, had to, to make the effort to go find the drawings. And they went ahead and built it the same dang way that we designed it. And had all the tiles perpendicular to the airflow. Mm-hmm. And they also mm-hmm. had all the other mistakes that we'd built into <laughs> that vehicle. Perfect. I think that's a good place to stop. Is okay. talk, yeah, all the other mistakes, which is going to be plenty of other content for other times, you know? Hey, thanks so much for listening to this episode of My Dad Built Spaceships. I hope you enjoyed learning more about my dad, his background, and how he got into this work. One hope I have with this podcast, too, is to show that the people that do this work, this incredible work, are real people. And if this is work or anything like this kind of work, that's something that you're interested in pursuing, go after it. I really want, you know, to encourage people to pursue the sciences and pursue this dream of working in science. And even if you're not a great student or whatever else, my dad certainly wasn't. The world needs more scientists and engineers and technicians working to broaden our understanding of the universe and educate others, especially educate others also need more scientific literacy in our population as a whole worldwide. So I definitely encourage you to find communities of people interested in the same things that you're interested in and get involved in whatever ways you can. Lots of different things out there. Go do it. If you're enjoying this podcast or you have some additional space information you'd like to share, or if you also have a family member that has been a part of our amazing space program as well, go to mydadbuiltspaceships.com and send a contact message. I'd love to hear from you. On the site, you can also learn more about me, my dad, the podcast, or even make a donation if you'd like. Definitely appreciate that. The next episode will be all about the design of the space shuttle. Won't be talking about dad so much, we'll be back to talking about spaceships. We'll talk about why it looks the way it does, some of the goals they had for the shuttle, and a whole lot more. I think it's a really interesting episode, I think you'll like it. Thanks again, and keep exploring our amazing universe. 